Would you take your pew Bibles in front of you and turn to Colossians chapter 1? And we are going to stand together, please. And we're going to read verses 21 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Let's stand and read these words. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You may be seated. God in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this statement of your gospel. The statement of the hope that we have in Christ. This word is for each of us today. If we are hurting, if we need your comfort, we pray that you would bring it. Lord, if we are apathetic toward you, if we have wandered from you, Lord, may your spirit bring your conviction. Lord, may you comfort the afflicted, and may you afflict those who are comfortable. Amen. The first chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, tell us that our Creator lovingly created our world, and He made human beings in His image. And in those early chapters, we get this picture of of God and humanity living together in perfect peace and in perfect relationship and perfect communion with God. But in Genesis 3, we know that relationship and unity between humanity and God is broken because of Adam and Eve. They, They chose to follow the word of the serpent rather than to follow the word of God. And so that relationship was broken. It was, it was torn. And what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did after this relationship was broken? They hid. They took fig leaves and they hid from God. They, they hid from their maker. The one who lovingly created them in his own image. To be in communion and relationship with him. They hid from him. And God comes into the garden and says, where are you? Where are you? God was not looking for information. He wasn't asking Adam, where is your location on the map? He knew Adam's location. The question, where are you, was an expression of the broken relationship that took place because of sin. The sin of Adam and Eve caused a separation between them and God that had never existed before. And ever since, every human being has been hiding from God. 
And ever since, everyone hears a voice in their hearts, where are you? Communion with God is what you were made for. Our primary human problem is our alienation from God caused by our sin. Our primary problem is our alienation, our separation from God caused by sin. And all of the problems that we experience in our life, all of the problems that we see across the world, all of the problems that we see in our culture, the violence, the greed, the racism, the depression, the addiction, the root of all of that is our hiding in our alienation that we experience from God because of our sin. That is our root problem, and it requires a divine solution. What is needed for each one of us is reconciliation with God. And that is a work that only God can do, and thanks be to God is a work that he has done in Christ. In the scripture that we just read together, Paul tells the Colossian church that they were once alienated from God. They were separate from him. God was saying to the Colossian church, and he's saying to you here at Broadway this morning, where are you? Paul reminds them that they have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus and that his death has enabled them to be holy and blameless and free from accusation in his sight. Just as a reminder of where we are here in Colossians, it's been a couple of weeks. I've been away for a couple of weeks. But we spent three weeks looking at the Christ hymn in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And in those verses, we heard about this great work that God is doing to reconcile and to redeem all things to himself. Seven times, Paul uses this Greek word panta, which means all, to talk about all things or all creation. And this hymn, this beautiful hymn, emphasizes this cosmic and universal salvation that God is bringing. That all of creation has been groaning and suffering because of sin. And all of God's creation needs to be reconciled back to the Creator. And Paul says in this hymn that this reconciliation is made possible and is accomplished through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And so those verses just paint this huge picture, this cosmic picture. It's it's more than we can imagine of what God is doing to reconcile all things to himself. And it's kind of hard to lose ourselves in it. Where do we fit in this? All things, this huge cosmic salvation that God is bringing. And so in the next verse, Paul narrows his focus and says, And once you... Once you were alienated from God, and now you have been reconciled by Christ because of your faith in him. This is one of the great joys of the gospel, that the creator of all things, the one who made the stars in the heavens and who flung the planets into orbit, and the one who in love made every animal for aardvark to the zebra— or as Simp says, zebra, right? Okay. He's not here. He was supposed to be right there. It was going to be a part of my joke to talk to him, but he's not there. (laughs) 
The same all-powerful creative God who is at work reconciling all things to himself from the smallest sub-particle that we probably don't even know exists yet (laughs) to the largest star in a galaxy that we haven't yet discovered yet. He created it all, and he's reconciling all of it to himself. And this same God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows you, and he loves you. And he has made a way through Christ for you to come to him and to be reconciled to him. He knows your mind. He knows the ways that you are enemies in your mind to him. He knows what causes you to run away and to hide from him. He knows what you need to hear today to cause you to turn around and run to him. The good and loving God, the all-powerful God, made you in his image so that you can know him and relate to him in a way that no other part in creation can. Because he made you in his image. This is the great joy of the gospel, that those of us who are made in his image were made to commune with him, to be in communion with him, to relate to him, and to know him, and to be known by him. But this truth also comes with the great tragedy, the offense of the gospel. When you read the Christ hymn, and if you stop there at verse 20, you would be easy for you to believe that God is reconciling all things to himself, this universal scope of the reconciling work of Christ. And some people will use that to teach then universalism, which is that all people will experience salvation. But our scripture today, particularly in verse 23, and in other parts of scripture, remind us of this great tragedy of the gospel. That because we are made in the image of God, because we are made to be in real relationship with God, that we are the only part of God's entire creation that can also reject God. Turn our backs from God and hide from him. God will not reconcile anyone to himself who does not want to be reconciled. For those who wish to remain enemies of God and hostile in their minds toward God, who love their sin, their evil behavior, more than they love God, will remain forever apart from him, alienated from him. So this morning, I want each of us to hear that voice of God in our hearts. Where are you? It is this voice that is calling you to come to come out from your hiding, to turn around and to run to him, your creator and your Lord. Where are you? Colossians 1, 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Paul writes this to the Colossian Christians and tells them who they once were before Christ. Before Christ, we were alienated from God. We were apart from God. We were separated from him. And God is calling to us, where are you? Well, secondly, Paul says that before Christ, we were also enemies in our minds. Think again with me to the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent tricks Eve by seeking to change her mind about the goodness of God. God had given Adam and Eve great freedom in the gospel. Genesis 2, um, I think it's verse 16 or 17. God says, Adam, you are free. (laughs) 
Adam, you are free to enjoy any tree in the garden. You are free, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve Eve had access to all of the garden, all of the beauty, all of the abundance and bounty of the garden. They had access to all of it, even the tree of life. God says to them, you are free. The emphasis that God gives to Adam and Eve is in their freedom, in God's generosity, and in his kindness, and in his desire for them to enjoy the good gifts that he made for them to enjoy. And so notice what the serpent emphasizes in his temptation. Not their freedom, but the prohibition. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? God emphasizes their freedom. The serpent emphasizes and exaggerates God's prohibition. He emphasizes, he points her to God's boundaries and plants an idea in Eve's mind that those boundaries that God gave to her are not good for her. Eve, forget about the freedom that God has given you. Forget about all of the fruit of the other trees. Forget about the animals that you live together with in harmony. Forget about the gift that God has given you to join with him in caring for this good garden. Forget that he has blessed you. Forget that you get to enjoy time in the presence of your creator. Forget everything and pay attention to those boundaries. (laughs) Pay attention to what God has prohibited, prohibited you to do. God is not good, Eve. He wants to keep something good from you. And Eve's mind was changed. She forgot God's goodness, his provision. She forgot the freedom that God had given her to enjoy the garden. And she looked outside of the goodness of God's good gifts and wondered if there was something better outside of them. Adam and Eve chose to believe the word of the serpent and convinced them that God was their enemy. They were enemies in their minds to God. I like how Paul puts that, that we were enemies in our minds. In other words, not in reality, only in your minds. The truth is, God is not our enemy, but we have made ourselves God's enemy, and we've come to believe that God is our enemy, and this is the power that sin can have in our life. It cannot make us believe that God is not good, that he is our enemy, and that he does not want what is best for us. So Colossians 1.21 tells us that before Christ that we were alienated, separated from God, that we were enemies in our minds. And then the NIV translates this, because of your evil behavior. Other translations say, um, expressed in your evil behavior. Your, Your enemies in your mind is then expressed in your evil behavior. And this is the cycle of sin, I think. And I'm sorry that this is such a terrible graphic. I put it together in about five minutes this morning because I thought it would be good for you to see. But it doesn't look very good, but I think it's going to make the point. These are the three things that Paul says about who we are 
before Christ. We experience alienation and separation. We experience that we are enemies in our minds to God, and because of that, we experience evil behavior and sin. And as I was thinking about this, that this week, this seems to me a cycle, and it's a cycle that can like work in whatever direction. <laughs> and it seems to me that Satan, the way that he works in our life is that he will kind of interject any one of these three and cause us then to enter into this cycle. And so we may have this experience of, I can hide from God. God is not here. I am separated from God. And so here I am at my computer. God cannot see me. And so I engage in evil behavior and I enjoy it. And it's, I become an enemy in my mind to God. Or maybe I experience separation from God. I'm going through a difficult time in my life. God, where are you? You're not coming through with me. And so because of that, I become an enemy in my mind because God isn't coming through for me in the way that I think that he should. And that then leads into evil behavior and sin, which then causes us to be separated from God again. Or when you're tempted into sin, you kind of see how this works. <laughs> That all three of these expressions of who we're like before Christ can come creeping into our life today as well. In our lives, before coming to Christ, we were stuck. We were stuck in this cycle with no way out. No way out. The cycle of being alienated from God, from not trusting that he was good... Believing in our minds that he was our enemy and then acting out those evil behaviors. And for so many people, they allow themselves to remain in this cycle so long that that voice, where are you, they can't hear it anymore. And Romans chapter 1 says that when that happens, that God gives people over to their sin. Sin becomes this terrible punishment that God gives people over to. Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he says to them that your life was once like this. You were alienated. You believed that you and God were enemies, and you acted like it. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. God has broken this cycle in your life if you know Christ by faith. He has set you free from it. He has made it possible for you to experience reconciliation rather than alienation. He's made it possible for you to experience friendship with God rather than being an enemy of God. He has enabled you and empowers you to live good, holy, and righteous lives. And then you can just substitute each of those words as I think about it right now. And that cycle also <laughs> is a cycle that helps us to grow up in Christ. When we know that we are near to God, it helps us to know that he is our friend. And it helps us to walk in a good way. And you can enter this cycle that way too, I guess. I'll have to think about that. He is at work now. Reconciling you to himself. In your own life, you have experienced to one degree or another this cycle, this alienation from God caused by being an enemy of God in your mind and by your evil behavior. And the gospel is the good news that can wake you up and free you from this cycle that leads to death. 
And Paul says that he does that by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusations. He reconciles you by Christ's physical body through death. The worst thing that has ever happened in history has already happened. The perfect Son of God was killed on a cross. Sin has already done the very worst that it can do. It took the worst sin by killing the Son of God, and He took that worst of sin and evil, and He went through it, and He endured it. And on the cross, He experienced that feeling of alienation and separation from His Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That alienation that we experience, that division between God and humanity caused by our sin, that became the experience of Jesus on the cross. The one who knew no sin. The one who lived and walked in perfect companionship and in perfect communion with his heavenly father went to the cross and bore the weight of our sin that causes that division and that broken relationship with God. He felt the alienation between himself and his father as he took our sin on the cross. That was the worst thing that could ever happen in history. And the greatest thing in history has already happened as well. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And when his perfect, when his perfect, victorious, resurrected body came out of the tomb, the sin and the decay that he carried on the cross, it stayed in the grave. And so one of Paul's favorite phrases for us is in Christu, in Christ. And when we place our faith in Christ, we are then identified with him. Our baptism is a visible expression of our identification with him in his death and in his resurrection. And in his baptism, in our baptism into Christ, we are then in Christ and we experience both his death and his resurrection. When we are in Christ, we can then stand before God without fear. We can take off the fig leaves and stand before God without any fear of accusation because we have experienced what Luther calls the great exchange. On the cross, he took my sin and I got his eternal life. On the cross, he took the punishment of my murdering thoughts and my adultering actions and my addictive behaviors and my lack of faith. He took all of that and bore the weight of it on the cross and took it with him to the grave. And so when I am in Christ, he gets my sin and I get his eternal life. This is the reconciliation that is available to us in Christ. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Verse 23, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm and not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. 
There is an already reality to our reconciliation to Christ. It has, in a way, already happened, but it is also a process that is still taking place. We have been reconciled to Christ. We are daily being reconciled to Christ as the Holy Spirit works in us to transform our hearts. And we are then going to one day be perfectly, perfectly made without sin. A theological word for these phases of our salvation is justification and sanctification and glorification. And justification tells us that in Christ we have been reconciled to God. It has already happened. Sanctification is the truth that in Christ we are now being saved. We are being set free day by day from the sin that is in our life. We are being made into people who live holy and righteous lives. We are being saved. And glorification is the truth that in Christ one day we will be saved and healed completely of our sin. And that our resurrected bodies will be like his glorious body. Justification, we have been saved. Sanctification, we are being saved. And glorification, we will be saved completely from this cycle of sin and alienation and hostility toward God. And because we are still working out our salvation with fear and trembling, Paul gives this warning in verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is a warning to remain true and persistent in our pursuit of Christ and the holiness that he is creating in us. Now, no doubt, when many people read this verse, the question comes up, what? Once saved, always saved. Are we once saved? Are we always saved? Can you lose your salvation? There are many passages of scripture that tell us that our salvation is not dependent on us, but is dependent on the sovereign work of God in our lives. We can be confident that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. And so in my time as a pastor, people read this verse or passages in Hebrews that give similar kind of warnings. And they ask the question, you know, can we fall away? Can we, can we lose our salvation? And what I say is this. When you come to the passage of scripture like that, either side... Allow the weight and the thrust and the truth of that teaching to be God's word for you in that moment, that day. Instead of taking this verse and kind of ripping it out and then putting it into this theological construction, just let the warning hit you. And when you come across a passage like Philippians chapter 1 that says, He is faithful and He is just and He will continue the work that he has started in you sit and rest in that grace and in that peace of that word here Paul tells the Colossians and he tells us that in Christ by our faith in him he has done this amazing thing of reconciling us back to God He has solved the great problem of our human situation of bringing healing to our division and alienation from God. And we are given this great promise that we can stand before God, no longer hiding from him. And so Paul immediately gives this warning, this challenge to stand firm in this faith because he knows how easy it is for us to hear the word of the serpent and to go right back into this cycle again. 
to question whether God's boundaries are really best for us. And so we grab onto sin and we walk in it for a little while and we begin to become hostile in our minds toward God and we become alienated from him and distant from him. We begin to think that he maybe doesn't know us and doesn't see us. We enter into that cycle again. And so Paul gives this warning. Continue in the faith. Established and firm and not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The end of verse 23, and then we're finished here. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. A few weeks ago, I said to you that I have no idea what this verse means. I don't know if you remember that or not. I've been thinking about it over the last few weeks. Paul says this gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, but Paul knows full well that there are people that have not yet heard this truth. That's why he's going and doing the missionary work after all. So what does Paul mean here when he says that the gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven? I think the key comes later in the book of Colossians when Paul speaks about false teachers that have come into the Colossian church and said that if you really want to experience God then you have to go through these secret rites, these secret initiations in order to come to him. And you've got to do certain things. You've got to participate in certain rituals in order to come to really know Christ. And Paul right here at the beginning says, no way. This gospel has been made available to every creature under heaven. It is not a secret. It is open and in the light. Hear it and know it. And so today, where are you? God is saying that to your heart in one way or another. Where are you? In what way are you hiding from God? He's calling you to come and to know that you don't have to hide anymore. If you have never in your life heard that or have known that in your life, today is the day for you to know it. I'm going to sing a song in a minute. The worship team will come on up. Today, if you have never known that you can be known by God, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be continue to be trapped in this cycle of sin. Today, please come forward and someone will come and pray with you and talk with you about that. For others of you, you have known this good news, but you are hiding. You're hiding from God. You've come to believe that maybe he isn't near and that you can get away with evil behavior. Today is a day for you to turn around and to run back to God. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this truth Colossians 1, 21 through 23. That once I was alienated from God, but now I in Christ have been reconciled. May all of us know this today. May we receive the gift of this word. Amen.